It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Rodolfo Spielman, CEO, president and board member at Nature Suite. Rodolfo is a global consumer products expert with a consistent track record of improving operating performance for net sales, earnings, and cash across multiple categories in established and emerging markets and in a diverse set of companies and business scale. He has achieved above market revenue and profit by successfully integrating organizational, strategic, operational, and financial dimensions of complex businesses while mobilizing organizations to execute with excellence. Prior to joining Nature Suite in 2019, Rodolfo has had an outstanding career in the CPG sector, working for companies like Procter & Gamble, Del Monte, Mars Heinz, and most recently, Central Garden & Pet, where he was the president of their pet consumer products division. In fact, Rodolfo has spent most of his last 25 years in the pet food sector and has some amazing insights on just how different working in pet food is than the kind of food that you and I eat every day. Rodolfo Spielman, welcome into the corner office. Hey, Brent. Great to be here. Really appreciate the invitation. <laughs> great to have you here as well. And we've talked so much over the years. We've never actually met in person, but uh, you know, we've got that common background in Procter & Gamble. Uh, you started a little bit after I left, but uh, great company to found beginnings, and you've just had such a stellar CPG uh, career. I can't wait to learn more about it as we go through our podcast today. But we always like to start in the beginning, and that's kind of where you grew up and what your early family life was like. So tell us a little bit about that time of your life. Perfect. So, as you might guess by the accent, um, <laughs> I didn't grow up in the U.S., so I, I'm from Chile in South America. I was born there, uh, except for one year in Scotland, which I don't think counts. I was only two years old. Okay. I live all the time in Chile. I have an older brother, younger sister, but my older brother left the house when he was 14, Okay. Because he went to the Naval Academy, and in Chile, if you are going to go to the Navy, you needed to finish high school, between quotes, in the Navy. So I went from being the middle guy to being the old guy in the house very quickly. Yeah. yeah. But I always had that, that, that idea of, hey, the expectations were my brother. My dad was also a Navy officer, so he was a Navy guy with the brother Navy guy, and I had a younger sister. So I was the guy in the middle who I had a lot more freedom, I would say, to, mm. to operate in the house. Right. Uh, so I, we moved when I was in high school to Santiago, which is the capital of the country. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a pretty big difference. So the, the one thing that 
it's very different than in the US. You go from the number two city in the country with, let's say, 300,000 people to the number one at six million. So it's oh, a fairly wow. sizable the difference. Big, yeah. Big city. When you, when you move there. So I would say, honestly, had a really great time in high school and the whole time. I, probably the biggest interesting piece on that one was that because of being a 6'6 Chilean guy, which is not that common, <laughs> that they, they invited me to the national team in volleyball. Ah, uh, great. Now, yeah, did you play, high, play volleyball through high school? Was that yeah. a, a sport that you enjoyed? Yeah, Absolutely. Um, but, but it was interesting because I, I went from being in like the best player in the team on that small city that, to being absolutely a bench warmer in my high school for the first two years. Yeah, and the, the team was fantastic. And yeah. honestly, I, I barely made it to the bench. So when they, who were probably 15, 16 at that point, and they, they called the first Chilean team, and clearly they didn't call me, so no debate on that one. Okay. And, but they did call my friends. And the, the coach asked my friends, do you have any tall guys that you know? And they said, well, we have this guy, but man, it's really not good. <laughs> yeah. uh, and the coach said, hey, no, no problem. Let's, I, can, I know I can teach him how to play. So they called me. They called 120 kids, and I was clearly number 120. <laughs> yeah. uh, up until today, by all my volleyball friends, I'm known as the cow for how my gracious movement in the, in the court. Yeah. <laughs> But you know what? I trained every single day for well over a year, day in, day out. And I made it to the team and made it to the A team. I played the South American Championship. I played every game and got elected like the one of the top three guys in the team, etc. So it was... It was a really, really, really good experience. Yeah, 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 terrific. And this was high school years then or college? This was high yeah, school? high school. Because high school. Then, then in Chile, I, I, I went to study engineering. And it's also not the way it works here where if you do sports, you're an asset for the school. Right. There, it made it very clear that, so you want to play volleyball or you want to be an engineer? I was like, okay. Uh, that, yeah. That's that's simple. That's an easy question. That's an easy question. So I, I ended up playing for college and a few other things, but after a couple of knee surgeries, I decided that that was it. That yeah, was it. You had your time. Were you a good student in secondary school, high school? Yes, I, I was. I, it's kind of funny because that, that actually probably dovetails a little bit with engineering. I was uh, what I call really good on everything, not excellent on anything. Okay. Yeah. So, so if you would have done the ACT, probably in in, in Chile, probably I would have not get gotten any thirty sixes, right. but it would have been in thirty four, thirty five yeah. on everything yeah. type of thing. Right. right. Yeah. Right. So when I when in in Chile you do the this ACT type test only once a year. College entrance. Yeah. The college entrance, and yeah. everyone does it at the same time. And I got one of the top 20 scores in the country. So wow, it was like pretty good. cool. Yeah. But then I entered engineering and <laughs> I was, yes, I, I did enter bench, right? <laughs> exactly. I did enter like, <laughs> I, I, I remember like I was three out of 400. So it's like, yeah, this is great. And first test, I got like a 20%. I was like, okay. Gosh. Oh my God. That was it. Good challenge is <laughs> that, right. Uh, and I was surrounded by way smarter people than me. So, like, no debate on that one. <laughs> yeah, and 
I, I, I always joke that in, you have to study six years to become an engineer. And I did the six years and then a couple of years for a master. Yeah, but I always joke that if I learned anything, was humility there? Yeah. Because it's, it was, again, clear that not, there was not a single class where I was even close to be the brighter guy, uh-huh. brightest guy in the class. Uh-huh. But learn to surround yourself with smart people. That's right. And figure out how to, how to get it done. So it was, it was a great career. That, yeah, in, that served you well through your business career as well, right? Yeah. Surrounding yourself with smart people. Absolutely. And I think that there were two things, by the way. One is around yourself with very smart people. But the other one is absolutely not being afraid to say, I don't know. Yeah. So it, it's, right. it has been a bit shocking for me when, in the business career, how many people believe that saying I don't know is a sign of weakness. Yeah. Instead of a sign of, hey, curiosity, and let's figure it out together. Let's figure it out. Yeah. yeah. No, that's smart. Very good lesson. Other than volleyball, were there other activities that you pursued in, in high school and things that you enjoyed? Any entrepreneurial things, for example? Uh, to be honest, uh, I worked since I was nine years old. Wow. Yeah. So I... My, family, family business, or did you find retail? Oh, n- no, not even close. And my, my first job was selling Christmas trees in a parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, without a permit, yeah, and, and trying to to escape the police when they were coming to to figure out who was selling the trees. <laughs> did you go and yeah. cut down the trees yourself? Where did the trees come from? No, no, no. I, I was a middleman. Okay. Right. Someone else got the trees from me. Yeah, there was a supplier. Yeah. I, I had a I had a supplier for me. I was a sales guy. <laughs> yeah, and I, but I, I kept working through all uh, middle school and high school. It was mainly selling things right. yeah, all, all the time and like selling things for Christmas or, or stuff like that. And then in college, I kept working, doing surveys, uh, teaching, I, and anything I could find a job for, Right, I, I was there. If not, that, that, that was the, the money to, to have fun. So at the end of the day, for me, it was, again, volleyball for some time and have fun. And then in college, it was studying, not that much volleyball, but also have fun. So I needed to... I needed money to fund that. <laughs> now, you went to a Catholic university, Pontificia, is that how it's pronounced? Yeah, it's Pontificia Universidad Católica. And you yeah. did both uh, your bachelor's and a master's there. Did you do those back-to-back, or did, was there some, some time in between? Yeah, no, I did them back-to-back, because it was a, instead of doing a six plus two, I did a, like, five plus two type of thing. Right. So, right. so I, I could really pressure the last couple of years and save shaved one year of the for the master so yeah, yeah. just to get cool and was that your first choice for university was that you know, where you wanted to go or parents expectations or it was in santiago right I'm yeah sure. it, yeah it, it was in santiago and yes that that was my first choice and it's a it's a lot easier or it was a lot easier in that time because you could you would know your scores and you would know what scores were needed in each college Right. So at the end of the day, if you knew you were going to make it, you could pick a college very easily, sure. which is a lot easier than here where it's you're always uncertain who's going to say yes or no. Yeah, of course. 
Of course. Cool. So you started your career as I did uh, at P&G. I, I'd say about a dozen years after I did. So we, we, we do have a generation between us. But, and, and, uh, a, and a slightly smaller country. But yes. <laughs> slightly smaller country. But uh, great company and a great start. Now, did they, did P&G um, uh, interview and recruit at your university? How did, how did you get connected to them? Because guys of our generation, and I'll, I'll include you in it, we typically got our start at P&G. P&G really didn't recruit, you know, for people in mid it, right? It was always from a promote from within type of standpoint. At least it was back then. I'm not sure it is today. Yeah, I don't know either, but it was that case also when I started. Yeah. And they recruited, but it was kind of funny because they, they had two companies recruiting in my school. One was PNG, and the other was a joint venture between PNG and a Chilean company. Oh, really? Which, That's interesting. Which yeah. a funny thing is at didn't point, I didn't know that PNG was of the joint venture, I only knew the Chilean company, which was one of the largest Chilean companies. Right, right. But my whole career, I talked to my whole career, my, my whole life, I wanted to work for Unilever, which was the largest ah, company yeah. and, the, and the largest CPG company in Chile. That's right. Yeah. But I was, at that point, I've been dating with my wife now for around five years. Right. Yeah, and she applied to Procter & Gamble. I applied to Unilever and this Chilean company, <laughs> and she got the job on a Tuesday for Procter & Gamble, and I got my Unilever offer on a Wednesday. Wow. And clearly, that was not possible. So, in fact, both companies had a, I, I, I would call a regulation against being married with, <laughs> with, a, with someone who worked in the main competitor. Right. So, and hey, my fiance got it first, so that was easy for me, even though I've been aiming for Unilever for probably seven years. Wow. wow. I, I knew that fiancé was way more important and nailed it. So we've been married for 25 plus years. Oh. So well, that was good. I love it. And, and Proctor welcomed you in or did, did you no, have another I, offer from I, them as well? I, actually, like a, a week later, I got this Chilean company that offered, offered me a job. So I Which took was it. was the, the joint venture. The, the joint, joint venture. venture. Yeah, right, right. And six months after I started, the... PNG guys said, "Hey, do you want to come to the the main company PNG?" Like, <laughs> sure, so, good thing. <laughs> so it's like, absolutely. So ended up working with my fiance at that point, or I think close to my wife. But that's how I ended up in PNG. So it was that's a great. internal move. Well, Proctor is a great company, and and I know that you probably started managing people probably there for the first time, right? You became a brand manager there. Tell us about those early days. What were what were some of the challenges that you might have had when you first started, uh, you know, leading people in that organization? So I think that the there were a couple of pieces. So yes, the that was the first place where I led people in a in the business environment. I've done that before when I ran a night school or an evening school uh, where I was running the, the the evening school and had all the teachers. But this yeah. is, this was a bit different. Yeah. yeah. And I think that the, the biggest challenges, the first one was to, hey, let's hire the right people. Remember, PNG is all for promoting from within. That's right. So most of the people who started to report to me yeah, were very new to the company. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, the, the, whole, the whole learning of... <laughs> Taking, having the patience of explaining and being clear on the what you expect from every person, giving them the materials, the equipment, the direction, and then letting them work it through versus trying you to get your hands dirty and micromanage everyone. So I, I think that that was clearly my first big challenge. Yeah. 
Uh, and then, honestly, it's, it comes with a normal challenge of how do you manage performance? How do you, how, let's say, how do you really reward the people who are doing the extra effort? That, and how do you have those tough conversations when the people are not making it? Right, right. Tough. Remember the six factors of performance? I remember we had that as a proctor, you know, brand manager where you had certain things. Effective communication, I remember, was one of the oh, yes, you're right. skills. Remember that? <laughs> Whoa. I Honestly, I didn't I remember. I in a time capsule there. And, and, and you, you went with effective communication. It's like, yep, I have that. Yep. You check those boxes, you know, and you'd interview against them. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, I still have some of those interviewing techniques, obviously, in my day job. But uh, well. And, and it was also one thing that was super interesting is that everything in PNG is done in English. And my English there was way worse than now. So you can imagine. <laughs> and, but within Chile, I think I would have been average to average plus. So sometimes I had people reporting to me who I knew were terrific and they did a really, really, really good job. But every, every time they had to present to someone higher than me who were all from us uh-huh. yeah they stumble around etc so i still remember having conversations with my boss at the time when he was like this guy's not good you need to do something and i'm like guy this is the best i have and he's <laughs> really really good you just killed the guy so, so it's like going back and forth on those things they kept the bar high they kept yeah. the bar very high huh well you left proctor as most of us do after a few years there and uh you spent the better part of the next gosh 20 years in four great companies heinz del monte mars and then most recently before your current assignment which we'll talk about at the end with uh, central garden pet in the pet food industry and and so that's been a major part of what you've done Tell, tell us what's kind of very unique about pet food, because, you know, it's something that's absolutely exploded since the pandemic, right? And everybody's had home pets and so forth. And so there's this, you know, huge, uh, we've been doing a lot of search assignments, actually, in the pet food industry, interestingly enough, just because of, you know, kind of that explosion. But what's your kind of takeaway from, from all those years working in that industry, particularly as it compares to perhaps some of the other things, like, you know, now you're working with people food, right? Instead of obviously pet food. Give us a little bit of compare and contrast. Yeah, I would say that the there are three big, big, big differences yeah. between pet food and the what I would call more the human food. Yeah. So so the first one is the probably the most obvious one is that your consumer is not your buyer. <laughs> yeah. Right. So and which means that whatever the buyer believes tends to be the truth. Yeah, that's right. Which again in human food as a mom or a dad, you can believe whatever you want, but if your yeah. kid doesn't eat the food, <laughs> it doesn't matter. That, that, that's it. But <laughs> right. mainly if you're talking about dogs, they will eat pretty much everything. So at the end of the day, the buyer is the one who has a lot of preconceptions or who, or who can believe what matters and what doesn't matter. Whether that really matters or doesn't matter is a whole different conversation, but that's that's one big, big difference. difference. Yeah. 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 The, the second one is the speed of change. It's just mm-hmm. dramatic. Mm-hmm. So when I started in, this was 2000, there, there was no natural pet food, no anything like that. And sure. and then that came from nowhere and it's more than half the business today. Amazing. And and even when I was running a natural dog, dog food business, a cat food business, I, I remember that we were moving a lot faster than what my company was moving at that time, Mars as a whole. And they were having a hard time figuring it out what were we doing 
Yeah. And, and, and so we, we spent a lot of time explaining internally why the category was moving one way or another, yeah. which didn't happen in any of the, of the other categories. Right. Right. And probably the, the third one, which is very different, is when you think about human food or even detergents or diapers, so I work in tuna and a few others, if you can command a 15% premium, you're a rock star. Yeah. So like really, whoa, your brand can command a 15% premium. That's amazing. In dog food, you can command a 300 to 400% premium. Wow. Yeah. So, wow. so it's, it, the premiums are just amazing. What do you think? Yeah. That, what's the key reason for that? That's a really interesting fact. So I, I honestly go for because you really don't know. Yeah. So what people's price elasticity is, or, so or, no, or, or actually, or, or you don't. So if you believe, and this is the point, if you believe that one food is significantly better than the other yeah. for for your pet, and honestly, that's the one thing you give your pet food, right, right, and the same food every single day. That's right. You will go the extra mile to pay for it. Yeah. If you're talking about human food, yeah, we all know that. Hey. Uh, Burger King or Big Mac, everyone's like, you can live with that and it's not a big deal. And you know what? If your food is not the only way we express love. So, so there's a lot of other pieces that in in your relationship with your your, your family, with your pet, the food is a fairly large piece of the equation. So that's why I believe that people have a lot less elasticity, if you're going to put it like that. And people are fairly loyal, I think, with their pet food, right? I mean, a, a pet may not eat something or maybe they have digestive problems. We had a German shepherd for many years and she, you know, had such a intricate, you know, digestive system. We've tried three or four different foods, but boy, once we found one that worked, we just never changed, you know, for the 12 years she was living, it was only the same food. Is that fairly common? That's a, so... Let me separate the answer in two because that's a super good question. If you have a dog or a cat like the you, the one you had, yeah. it is common. So if you have a, a, a medical problem, absolutely yes. Mm-hmm. Now, in the industry, the theory is that people are very loyal and they stick to one food and move on because if you switch between foods, the, 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 the dog or the cat gets an upset stomach. Right, right. But when you do the data, that's absolutely not true. Uh-huh. I, I remember, and the last time I saw this data was probably six years ago, so bear with me, but I remember that if you were buying in a grocery store, you were rotating among five different brands in the year, mm-hmm. and if you were rot- buying in a pet store, you were rotating among three different brands in the year. So it was slightly less, but you're still rotating. Gosh, huh, that's yeah. something. That's something. So, so there are opportunities to change. And then, you know, you've grown up in marketing. That's kind of your base. You know, Proctor got your start and, and everywhere else. Did, were, were you able to successfully change people's perceptions and their habits with, with, with pet food over those years? Is that, is that something that's easily done? Yeah. Uh, hopefully not easily because that, that was my job. So let, let's say that, hey, no, that required a ton of effort. A little, really, a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, that, it's like, come on, that was a job. Yeah, but, but no, you, you could. So at the end of the day, you had, you had a lot of ways uh, of doing that. So you, you could play with the aesthetics or the visual of the food. Right, right. You could play with the aroma of the food. So at the end of the day, you had a lot of different levers to to be able to change perceptions. Yeah. Now you could. Yeah. I I manage a brand from Kibbles and Bits, which is a burger. Again, fantastic taste. But let's right. be clear, not the healthiest thing on earth. Yeah. 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 To the neutral or the ultra brands 
that, who were on the other side of the equation. So, so really, you need to know what your brand really stands for. You cannot make a burger, try to make that like the most nutritious thing on earth. You need to embrace the fact that it's a burger and move on. Right, right. Yeah. And but you you could play again. You could play with the visuals, with you play with aroma, you could play with the actor performance of the food packaging. So the, there were a lot of ways you could address the, the behavior of the consumer. Well, I have one more food, pet food question, then we'll get back to your career. But I'm just hey, so no fascinated problem. about the area. How do they do taste testing? Oh, that, that's that's actually fantastic. <laughs> it's a great question. So, and and actually, lots of different ways. So, the the first one that you need to to know is that you actually need to be rotating the dogs you're doing tasting with every mm-hmm. few years, and also you need to make sure that the dogs are not bored, right. because if you get a if they get bored, they're going to eat whatever you put in front of whatever them. Whatever you put in front of them. Exactly. So, so net, net, <laughs> the, the dogs that you, you, you're doing testing with, they're, they, they take them out. They're super well-trained. They walk them around. So they, Because if not, again, it doesn't work. So it's, yeah. it's A, it's the right thing to do, let's be clear. But on top of that, if not, the tasting doesn't work. Yeah. So also, not every dog will be a good tester. Yeah, so, so right. you, when you get a dog that you're going to ha- have in your, in your testing facility for a couple of years, you do some, and <laughs> you give them like, really good food, and then you give them food that you know it's pretty bad, and you see if they eat it. Yeah, right. If they eat right. both, you're like, okay, this guy doesn't, doesn't work. But if they spit the bad food, you're like, okay, we, we have our winner. Yeah, so, wow. And, wow. and then what you do is that there are two types of tests, which is one is which, one th- which food they pick first, which you do mainly that for, for treats, that you right. put two treats and you see which one they, they pick first. Right. Yeah. And in the food per se, you check how much they eat of the food mainly. Hmm. Yeah. Or, by the way, if they're not that good of a food, what percentage really eat the food? But when you get it to a certain good quality foods, you should be around uh, above 90%, so that should, should not be a big, big factor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. but it's, it's actually, believe it or not, it's it's a lot of work and a lot of really smart imagine. people. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, that whole system about yeah, having the right dogs and the right tasters. I'm sure it's the same with cats, although cats have to be so much more finicky. I can't uh, even imagine that. Absolutely. So <laughs> so we, with cats, you use a lot more the, uh, which one do they eat? Start with that one. You, you're not going right, to get to a 95% right. uh, acceptance on a cat. On a cat food, yeah. I mean, dog food, right. it's Interesting. Fascinating. All right. Well, back to your career. Um, you know, we've all had mentors and, and, and a few tormentors, right, over the course of our career. We don't need to mention names, but uh, <laughs> particularly in the early years at Proctor. I was there eight years, a little longer than you, so obviously uh, had my opportunities there. If you look back, though, at the lessons you've learned, either from those mentors or, or some, maybe some of the few tormentors on things not what to do, what are some of the takeaway lessons when you look at the corporate career? I mean, you work for great companies, Mars, Heinz, P&G, you know, Del Monte. What, what would you say are, are some of the things that you kind of learn by observing, you know, and or having folks mentor you along? So I, I, I'll go back and I remember I had by far my top mentor, Anigel, not naming names. The, 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 we were in a meeting. We were going to enter a meeting and I was a brand manager. And that was a really big meeting. Yeah. Sure. And I told him, so are you presenting? And he was like, no, you're ready. And I know you can do this. <laughs> I'm like, man, but this is, this is a big deal for you. And he laughed and said, if you shine, yeah. I shine. 
So don't worry. I That's know you right. can do it. If you do it well, yeah. I'm shining. And that was for me a huge Great. one, which I've, I've seen during my career that the best mentors and actually the best bosses are the ones who let their Push team out of the shine. Nest. Yeah. 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 And, and, yeah and, and then when the team are, is not ready to shine, they take mm. the bullets for the team. Yeah. So this is not a leave them alone in the open and see if they, it's not throw them to the pool and see if they, if right. they float. That's right. not the idea. It's when, when you know they can shine, yeah. let them shine. If you know they're not ready, well, that's actually your problem as a, as a boss, not, yeah. not their problem. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you need to take the bullets and take, take the responsibility for that. So that, that was, for me, one of the, the biggest ones. The other was the whole important on having the right team. So how important it is to have the right team? And this is not only on selecting the right people and developing the right people, but also it's on the on making sure you don't have a between quotes a template mm. for development. Everyone will need to be developed differently. There are some people who can become high experts and they will not keep evolving that much right. in the organization but they are fantastic in the job they do. And that's a lot of value. There's other people who will have higher potential to grow. And honestly, there will be other people who are probably not a match for the job. And mm -hmm. I also had a job that a boss who said, hey, there are a lot of really good C companies yep. for C players. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, so don't, don't keep them here. Let them right. shine somewhere else. Right. And I know it was pretty tough, but this whole idea of, hey, Again, you need to invite everyone for the ride. You need to give everyone a shot. Yeah, but you cannot force everyone That's right. to be part of that ride. That's right. So, yeah, good stuff. Yeah. What about negative yeah. lessons? You know, again, yeah. without mentioning any names, any, any behavior you observed or things that you said, oh, boy, I'm never going to be that way as a leader? Oh, uh, micromanaging mm. to death, yeah. which... At the end of the day, that gets into, so what do you want me to right, do type of right, thing? Right, if you're doing right, my just job, give up. What, yeah, what is yeah. my job? Yeah. Uh, I also saw, oof, now, now I have the person in my brain, by the way, but <laughs> someone who, the, the whole idea of shooting the messenger. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. When, which for me was crazy. I remember, and again, keeping names and companies. <laughs> and companies aside. Uh, yeah, yeah, so I'm going to, because this is important. So I, I had a CEO who a couple of times I brought him tough news, but, but with clarity, this is what we're going to do, etc. Yeah. And I still remember that the guy yelling and profanity and things like that. And I remember sitting, sitting there and, and one of the meetings, I told him like, hey, are you okay? Yeah. Are you going to keep yelling or can we talk about the business? Yeah, right. And by the way, that, 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 clear, that didn't work too well. No, that didn't work too well, to be very clear. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, good examples as well. I love it. So, President CEO of, of Nature Suite. Uh, it's your first CEO assignment. You've been president of a couple of larger companies, but um, moving into that. And, and again, in the people business, right? Our people food business now. So, so tell us about that transition. You know, you'd spent so much of your career on the pet side. And I, I had to believe that was by choice. I'm sure you had other opportunities where you could have moved either within companies to other brands or maybe to other companies that didn't handle food, but uh, pet food. But, but tell us about that latest transition and, you know, what was kind of the inspiration around it and, and a little bit about your company because not too many folks perhaps, perhaps know Nature Suite as well. Perfect. So... 
so you're right, by the way, I spend a lot of time in the pet industry and I loved it because as, as I mentioned before, so many things changing, yeah. so many yeah. different challenges, etc. So really a great industry. Right. And at the end of the day, the change for Nature Suite for me is I wanted to make a difference. Mm. So at, at the end of the day, it, hitting my quarterly targets is incredibly important, but honestly, it's not that meaningful. Mm. So there, there was a moment for me where, okay, great, we hit the targets again. Yay, the share price is up. And it's like, okay, and I'm sure someone made money for that. <laughs> but but then we have another quarter, and then we have another quarter, yeah. and then yeah. we have another quarter. It, and race. Yeah. It, it, it didn't mean that much right. to me. Right. So when I learned about Nature Suite, and Nature Suite, you would see that us in the supermarkets, we have, we have it's a nine. 29-year-old company. Are they a co-op? Yeah. How are they organized? No, uh, we're a private company. Private company. Okay, private. private company. Uh, only one owner. Right. Okay. Yeah, for the last 27 out of the 29 wow. years. And did, did you replace yeah. him or her as CEO, or has he been uh, having other folks come in to run it from time to time? No, the, the, the owner has, has never run it. Really? Okay, interesting. Yeah, yeah. but but the... The guy I replaced as a CEO is now the chairman of the board. Okay, got it. And he's the one who really, really grew the company. Yeah. So he did a fantastic job. Right. And the company for, I'm going to say, 27 or 26 of the 29 years has been about snacking tomatoes. Those small tomatoes that you see in the supermarket, plat, uh, packed in a really nice plastic dome. Right. Yeah. Uh, cherubs, glories, constellation. Yeah. We're by far the number one printing tomatoes. Yep. Oh, wow. Well. Yeah. And in the last three years or so, we're expanding into a lot of other greenhouse-grown ve vegetables. Got it. Got yeah. cool. but, but that's actually the least important part of the company. Yeah. So the, the, the important part is the company is absolutely focused in transforming the lives of the agricultural workers in North America. Mm. So we are the only large produce company who is vertically integrated. Mm. We own the land, we own the greenhouses, wow. we have our people working them, we have our supply chain, and we have the brand. And, and that's Most both other, in, 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 in the United States as well as in Latin America, or is that only in Latin America where, where it's grown? At this point in time, we have most of our operations in Mexico. Mexico. I, had, I had one uh, operation in the U.S., which I shut down yeah. a year ago, but I want to convert that into an innovation center cool. for the U.S., so really use the U.S. for what I can get a lot of value from yeah. Yeah. but so going back to this so we're vertically integrated which you almost never see right. and the reason for that is because okay if you want to change lives you actually need to have the workers so okay that starts with let's have the workers then we go into okay if you want to transform their lives you need to end up paying them much better mm. salaries and today we pay roughly 45 percent above the median of the industry wow, wow. But, but the interesting thing is all of that or like around 60% of their the compensation is in bonus. And it's a bonus in productivity mm. and quality. Right. So it's not that we're paying because we're nice people. Yeah. You're paying Our associates yeah. earn every penny. Yeah. So they are earning every penny they make. Awesome. And because of that, we have better quality. Because we have better quality, we can have a brand. We can have a brand. And because of that, now we're the leaders in the, in the U.S. Mm. So everything in the business model is done to see how we transform the lives of the agricultural workers. And mm -hmm. we track, actually, what percentage of the workers own their own house. They can send the kids to school. So th those are the 
yes, we obviously track EBITDA, cash, and I have a lot of targets and a lot of conversations <laughs> with my board. No debate on that. Right. Yeah. But it's all starting from, okay, how are your sausages? We have our turnover in agriculture is around 0.7% per month wow. when normally you can get 15%. Right, right. So it's we're talking about orders of magnitude different Fabulous. because it, it is a different company. Yeah. And how does that get communicated? Do you do you recruit against that? Um, is there a reputation? Do you bring a lot of your hourly, your agricultural workers in based on, you know, referrals from current employees? You know, how does that message get out down there? So the, there, it's a great question. And I would separate this in two. So for the roughly 5,000 associates that we have in the greenhouses, wow. we operate in the communities. We do not use any seasonal labor. Yeah. And at the end of the day, because we're a very good employer, whenever a position opens, someone from the community comes in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's either a, could be a, someone from the family, a friend, etc. We We have had no issues recruiting Fantastic. within the community. That's great. Now, when you talk about manager levels, we haven't done a great job yet. It's coming. <laughs> great job yet. Telling the story. But when we reach out to people, the first thing we do is to tell the story of the company mm. and what we do as a company. Yeah. And we actually recruit for people who can live our purpose. Yes. We have passed on extremely qualified people who would be coming here to do a job, but who are not, who transforming the lives of the workers doesn't really yeah. they don't, make a big difference. They don't fit the culture, yeah. right? Yeah, the and, culture. and if that's the case, it's like, hey, again, lots of great companies for you, yeah. not this one. Not this one, so, yeah, cool. You know, it, it sounds like you're working in a very different cultural environment than, than many of the larger employers you've had in the past. How has your leadership style evolved to account for that? Or, or hasn't it? Have, have you always kind of operated from that standpoint and, and maybe been, you know, a little bit different than some of your colleagues at Mars and Central Garden and Pet and elsewhere? So I think that the, I would say it has been a lot more freedom yeah. for me to operate yeah. because I've always believed that obviously you have to deliver the results. There's no debate on that. Right. It's, it's, it's the most basic thing to do. Yeah. And that there are bigger things in the world than just, as I said, hitting your quarterly targets. Right. So right. when I, for me, the difference is where I have had to focus the organization. When I came to Nature Suite, the idea of, hey, in order to have our business to be sustainable, we do need to be highly profitable. Mm. <laughs> if not, right. if it's a charity and it doesn't really work. <laughs> no. and, re and, and really having this conversation with the organization saying that, I, I remember using the analogy of a car. You buy a car to move from point A to point B, right. not to put gas in the car. But <laughs> if you don't right. put gas in the car, you're not going anywhere. And I said, right. that's, that's the profitability. You act, or it's like, hey, if you go to, to school, you don't go to school to get high grades. But if you're getting really low grades, something is off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so those kind of questions. And so that was part of the conversation. Well, in other companies, I was more the, on the other way saying, hey, guys, this is not really about the numbers. Yeah, we, yeah. we have to focus on something else. Right. Now, in terms of my style, uh, I, I've, been, I, I've been learning and I still have a lot to learn. But I, I'm a big believer on, again, get the right people, get them the right tools. My, I have a leadership team we met with in the first day and said, hey, so let's be very clear. Yeah, I need you. I don't know anything about agriculture. Mm -hmm. And I need you to be the guys 
leading yeah. this organization. Yeah. And they need you to be making decisions. Now, they were not used to that. Mm. Yeah, they, they were used to each one in their own lanes. Sure. Right. Yeah. So what I've been doing the most is working with them to make sure that they could operate as a team. Cool. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I'm not the one making every single decision, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. But the right people are making the right decisions. It's mm-hmm. a lot faster. There's much better ownership. Yeah. And my point is, I need, again, obviously to make sure that everyone knows what the direction of the company is, what matters, what doesn't matter, that the culture is the right culture. Right. Yeah. And that we're re- really living that every day. Awesome. And obviously that, that I have the right people in the right place. So I, oh, there have been couple of changes since I joined the company in the leadership team, but only a couple. Yeah. yeah and so, so far, so good. Every, everyone else has been outstanding. So, the last so to that years. end, particularly on management and executive hires, what do you personally look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire? <laughs> so I'm a big believer that, yes, uh, you have to be smart. Mm-hmm. But I believe more on the threshold smart so you have to be smart enough. I don't need you to be Einstein yeah, right. to run a business. It's by the way, what we do is not that complicated. Right, right. Yeah. So for me, I, I look for passion. Yeah. Uh, do you do you really care about what you're doing? Right. Yeah. And I look for the ability to now since we're talking about vice presidents, etc., the ability to develop talent right. and to stand up for yourself and your team. Yeah. So I need people who can stand up and push back and and really, on a good way, fight it out if they believe in something yeah. Yeah. and really getting the right people in the right place. So those are the, the main things I, I always look for. Do you have a favorite interview question you ask? <laughs> I, yes. So I, I normally do the, I warm up with, hey, tell me about your, the success you're the most proud of. Mm. And everyone shines and tells the success, et cetera. So, great. Now tell me about the failures that the most proud of. Um, <laughs> you get the you get the deer eyes, uh, right? <laughs> and, absolutely. And, and the amount of people here, here's the funny thing, the amount of people who said, Oh, I cannot remember any or uh, well and, and they, they give me a BS uh, failure of well, this product didn't work in the market or I, I launched a new plant and I was slow to get the productivity. It's like, come on, that's not a failure. Right. And I always like, hey, I want a failure. I want something that you messed up. Right. Absolutely. And for me, what I'm looking for is, I'm not trying to judge the failure, but I'm trying to understand, can you learn and can you own up sure. the things that are happening? How would you answer that question? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, it's, I, I will start with like, how... From from when do you need it? From today? From last week? From the last <laughs> month? The biggest in my career. So I, I, it's something from the food pet food experience. Yeah, I, I would offer many, but but I would say that if you want to go from one of the largest and the one that taught me the most, uh, I won't get into to a lot of the details. But I was working to, um, let's say, we Mars had acquired the Yukanuba brand. Right, right. Which was the EMS, EMS company. IMS is it was one? exactly IMS yeah. and Yukanuba. Yeah, but IMS was the big prize, and Yukanuba came with it and, and had a lot of potential. Yeah. Mm. So the idea was okay, so who's in charge of Yukanuba now? And I was in charge of making that decision. My unit, which had been a separate company, was going to be absorbed within the Mars uh, divisions globally. Yeah. So I needed to decide if the brand was going to stay with Mars as a total company, and that right. meant managed regionally, right. or it would be part of the Royal Canaan company, 
Yeah, which was it's part of Mars, but it's a separate company and run sure. completely separately in every country. Yeah. And making a long story short, I had a lot of ideas, a lot of preconceived notions, and I took a ton of feedback, but I never really embraced the point that I might not, and clearly I wasn't, I might not have been the guy with the right answers. Hmm. So what I did was to ask questions to confirm my bias instead of really ask questions (laughs) to open up and figure out what we needed to do. Interesting. And Interesting. I, ma- I made a recommendation, which the funny thing is they agreed on the recommendation that they executed the recommendation. But right after we did it, I started to realize that, uh-oh, I messed up. And yes, a couple of years later, they undid and they went the other way <laughs> around. So, and, and that was 100% on me because, uh, honestly, I didn't ask the right questions and I didn't yeah. listen to, to the answers. Yeah. So I yeah. just went with a confirmation bias. Great, great example. Well, Rodolfo, you've been very, very generous with your time, and I've had a lot of fun today. This has been great talking about uh, pet food and learning about your career. But we always have one last question we ask all our CEO guests, and that's kind of what career and life advice would you give someone who maybe has their eyes on a a CPG corner office someday themselves? They pay me to do what I love. Hmm. And for me, the first career advice is please make sure that you love what you're doing yeah, Yeah, and that you have passion for it because this is going to be a lot of your day a lot of your life and we have only one so so make make sure it really matters and and i think that attached to that is make sure that you're making every every day matter i i i went once and i sorry for a slightly longer but i went once to i was a director of marketing and i went to a sales meeting and a guy who had been with the company 40 years in sales was retiring and he had a really good thing he said hey just want to remind everyone that it, there's always another quarter, there's always another yeah. year, there's yeah. always another lunch, but there's only one time that your kid graduates from high school. There's w- right. only one recital. So make sure that you value what needs to be valued. Yeah. And then you work really hard on the rest so you can have the... <laughs> because at the end of the day, you have to earn the right to value That's the other things. Right. I mean, you, you really need to work hard to make that happen and have the flexibility. Yeah. But make sure that, again... You work really hard on something you love, so you can also make sure that you have some balance in your life that every person will decide by herself or himself what balance looks like. Yeah, but balance is important. So. Lovely. Sage wisdom. Rodolfo Spielman, President, CEO, and board member at Nature Suite, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks, Ron. Really appreciate the invitation. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.